Hey, Risto here with George Mason University. Uh, we're here with Dr. Chelsea Short. Uh, she's an assistant professor in the Department of Health and Physical Education at Northern State University. Um, we're going to be discussing an article that was published in 2019 that she co-authored, and the title is Operationally Conceptualizing Physical Literacy Results of a Delphi Study. Um, the article was published in JTPE, Journal of Teaching and Physical Education, and uh, one of the reasons why we highlighted this article was it was suggested by one of our listeners, um, and I think the topic will be of interest to uh, researchers, practitioners, because we have this two words, physical literacy, that is creating a lot of um, controversy and uh, conversation. So. Uh, Chelsea, thank you so much for joining us to talk about your article. Thanks for having me. So, in your personal opinion, why do you think that there's so much confusion over this definition of physical literacy? Yeah, so we have a lot of, we almost have like two schools of thought that derive from this term. Uh, Whitehead puts out her memo and... Um, publications on this more holistic concept using terminology that's not well known to the rest of the world, like poison economy and um, this idea of like embodiment. Mm -hmm. And then we have this whole other school of thought that has this like long-term um, athlete development model, which is all about physical skills, sports, um, and all mostly like motor um, components. Right. And these two worlds have really like grown just in like different parts of the world and have published a lot. So we have kind of the England, Wales, um, who have like adopted more of this white head philosophy. And then you have Canada, who have really... Um, like spearheaded this long-term athlete development model. And the clash of the two comes when you start to talk about the essence of physical literacy. And, and really like at the moment when it came to the United States, I was a physical education teacher and really no one knew how to explain it to us. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of the confusion now, my experiences from the United States and is from a physical education teacher. I was teaching at the time when they changed our standards from a physically educated individual to a physically literate individual. And I remember actually being in a shape, um, like I was at a shape conference, a national shape conference. I think it was in St. Louis and uh, this might have been like 2014. And I was in a, a session where they were talking about this and like people were asking, what is it? What is it? And there were no real differences between being physically educated and being physically literate from the person who was doing this session. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of those teachers left and a lot of those um, practitioners left with this notion that, oh, it's just keep doing what we're doing. It's kind just of thing. a change Don't. of language. Yes, don't mm -hmm. change what you're doing. Um, where that might have been, uh, I don't know, mis not necessarily misguided, but maybe like not um, implemented the way it should have been. Mm -hmm. But um, so 
again in the United States, so it, like even Lundvold, Lundvold says it, uh, we call, a rose is nothing but a rose, or it's called nothing but a rose. I, I can't remember what it exactly says, but basically, like, it's just different terminology. Right. And um, so because of that enrollment, we don't have a clear grasp of what physical literacy is. And that's really what I tried to do with this and what my, with my research is kind of understand from not only uh, a practitioner's perspective, but my own personal experience, like what is, what are you trying to get out of this term and why is it like, why is it important? What should we do with it? Right. And I think you kind of touch on this, but how do you suggest we bring like more conceptual clarity to physical literacy? Yeah, I think that there's been a lot of development in this already. Um, Australia in the last couple of years with the um, lead of Dr. Richard Keegan and his colleagues have taken their own uh, conceptual definition. So they've done their own Delphi and they've come up with their own definition. Canada has done this with their um, conceptualization and their own definition and I think even like some places in uh, the England, U- UK area have done this. So really just taking our own um, plan of attack or plan of implementation for this is imp- or for physical literacy is important. Um, I don't know if my, my conceptualization here will actually be implemented, but um that's that's really what i tried to do is take it from a united states perspective i can't i can't imagine that this would be the same in any other part of the the world but um and i think it is important for you know scholars in the u.s to understand a definition of this we just applied for a grant and one of the grant um you know needs was you have to measure physical literacy. And they linked to the Canadian definitions of physical literacy and the, you know, the rubrics that they have created underneath that. And this was a U.S. You know, federal grant. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think this is, this is exactly the conversation that we should be having for sure. Absolutely. And then, of course, Canada has a, uh, a motor heavy emphasis so you're basically just measuring motor skills and Mm -hmm. giving them knowledge tests yep (laughs) yeah so can you tell us a little bit more about this modified e-delphi approach and uh, why you chose this method yeah so uh, we wanted to capture the the experts at the time and the experts of course being a worldwide concept were all over. There were no real way that I was going to be able to um, get everyone on the same time zone, get everyone even um, in a contact with via zoom or anything like that. So um, we went with the e Delphi because um, contacting via email and uh, electronic survey was most feasible way to collect the opinions of the experts from all over um, different contents. Mm -hmm. So you use this three phase methods approach. Um, Why, why did you choose that? Um, Like most Delphi's uh, they kind of run in different 
like collection phases. So you'll have like your first round of Delphi where you just kind of gather information more broadly and then you'll do another round. So um, our first, the first round, I guess, was more or less like my literature review. Mm -hmm. I did not actually um, consist of me interviewing or not interviewing, surveying experts. But that really helped us determine like what, how, one, how many concepts were being used to define physical literacy out in the literature. How is it being talked about in the literature? And we really used um, Keegan or Edwards uh, adults uh, systematic review on the definitions and associations of, of physical literacy published mm-hmm. out in, I think, 2016 or 17. Um, so that was the that was really where we took and kind of expanded upon that and really looked to dug into those literature and then added a few of the newer ones that were out in 2016 at the time. I had been um, like, or 2017, I'd been already gathering some of this information and then that came out in january and so i just used that and expanded upon that as well and then so after you did your basic literature review and gathered all of that data to understand you know what what the literature says about it and what were the second and third phases then after that uh so yeah so we asked the so we asked our delphi participants um, and the Delphi list was like the expert list was consolidated by what was in that systematic review, as well as what other um, publications had been put out um, before I decided to send out the first round of Delphi. So we had identified like 6350 or 63. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. It's on here somewhere. <laughs> um, different participants, or 53, I guess, participants that we really wanted to kind of target and um, sent those out to them. And the questions that were asked were all entailed by and informed by the literature review that was done. So um, we identified like 23 different concepts and asked them just in an open setting, like how do you think that this relates to the concept of physical literacy? And these participants were people who um, who had published on physical literacy. Were they PE teachers or like how? What do you what did you consider an expert? I guess is the question. Mostly, yeah. So the physical literacy academics, um, they had published on physical literacy or had been identified by an organization as a physical literacy literacy expert. Um, or had uh, some sort of conceptual paper out about physical literacy mm-hmm. um, within our domain and field of, of journals. Right. So when we get into the to the results, I think it was interesting that your 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 basically your two themes were PL is so physical literacy is which describe physical literacy key constructs. And then the other one was physical literacy is not, which included determinants or outcomes of physical literacy. So were you and your team kind of surprised by any of the sub-themes and categories that emerged within the themes? 
Um, yeah, I was kind of surprised by the determinants of physical literacy is not. Um, I was really surprised that most of the experts kind of suggested that confidence and motivation were determinants um, mm-hmm. of physical literacy, where um, whereas like in some of the literature you've read uh, that I've read in my in my lit review were like that was a strong component like Chen 2016 um, has a whole piece on that but um, yeah that was one of the biggest kind of surprises was this idea that motivation and confidence was a determinant Um, uh, but otherwise like I think the essence of what the participants were really saying is that like physical literacy is this uh, engagement in activity, whether it's in any movement setting, whether it's every day or whether it's like a new, like they're given the opportunity and they're making the choice whether or not to actually do it. Motivation and confidence is not like is could be a part of that, but it changes so much. So for example, we just entered the new year. We might have this strong motivation to like, get fit at the beginning of the new year, Mm -hmm. but that wears off. So what is the difference between someone who has it where like who maintains that quote unquote motivation and someone who doesn't, well, there's, I think there's more or less like a, what the experts were really saying is that there are more or less like a, a more underlying features, um, to it, such as someone's, um, understanding of of activity and of movement derived from when they were young so um so what would you what would you say that i guess the most interesting part in this paper was that you're actually going to put down what physical literacy is and what is what it is not so can you give us a summary of the first part what is physical literacy based on the results of the study yeah, physical literacy is um, someone's ability to autonomously apply themselves to movement situations. And that is underpinned by their understanding of movement and their like almost their responses to adversity. So this could, adversity could be, well, that's in simple form. Now, to put an example to it, um, so I maybe have uh, a disability. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I injured my knee and now I can't run anymore. Mm-hmm. So I've now entered into this new phase of life. Do I now not apply myself anymore to movement situations or do I uh, respond to that adversity with modifications to my activity? Um, part of that is my understanding of movement now whether or not I have a great understanding of movement, such as like a de- kinesiology degree is not necessary, of course, right. or even um, a strong like uh, background. Yeah, but, but like a strong foundation I, in, in movement and understanding, yeah. Yeah, but if I have a strong adversity or a strong response to adversity and I want to move, I'll find the capacity to do it. I'll figure out how to swim or I'll um, take up biking or I'll 
find something other than what I used to do just simply because of my ability to, cause it's, so it's kind of this like triangle, like interaction of, um, features, mm-hmm. someone's ability to conceptual or not comprehend movement and their ability to respond to, to life, to environments, to social situations. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a good example because that's exact, that's not knee, but back is what ended up, you know, stopping me from running. And it was such an easy thing for me to do as I work out. And it does, it's, you know, it, it completely changes what you're physically able to do. And so where to find that alternate way of, you know, being physically active. And I've still for like four years avoided the pool because and I know that there's a lot of like very dedicated swimmers but I just I can't I'm just I'm just <laughs> not motivated I can swim but going there to just swim for fitness has not ever been something that I've picked up but I heard it's the, what all the cool kids are doing these days <laughs> yeah that's and it, I mean your situation is not unique there's so many people out there I think of the most common is like our athletes who are in high school and they go through these regimented practices and they have routines and then all of a sudden they graduate and it's not there anymore. Mm -hmm. And then they just stop being active. Like there's no, there's, they, they haven't developed the comprehension of what makes me active or what do I, um, what do I value inactivity or not even value an activity but what like what's my activity personality i guess yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, i mean even even if you look at you know american football and you're an offensive defensive lineman and all, all you've been told for four years in high school is to put on weight and bench press and you know you're not doing much cardio stuff you're doing a lot of strength and explosive power stuff and maybe you're good at the you know regional level but you're not going to go play college then you enter college and you're a big offensive lineman that hasn't really done a lot of cardio (laughs) like you know i i think those are those are the fears of you know being so isolated in one specific sport or one specific physical activity to to train so yeah yeah and of course there's lots of research to say that we should be multi-sport athletes and not uh, specify, especially early. Mm-hmm. So what would you then describe or what does the data say that physical literacy is not? So physical literacy is not necessarily having the knowledge to move in multiple domains, for example, hmm. or having the knowledge to do specific um, sports skills it's literally, it's really about how they apply those skills. Having these skills is m- going to lead to applica- more application, but having these skills is not going to be what makes them physical literacy. It's the application of those skills that actually makes them physically literate. When they go through life changes and they decide to make, you know, they injure their knee and they decide to continue moving, like that is really what... Um, I think, well, that's really what makes the person physically literate. 
But when you have like this, I mean, I think of like, I think of the person who can, as a physical education teacher, my, my best mover, someone who like is one of my most skilled people. Mm-hmm. If they spend most of their time sitting playing video games, I wouldn't consider them physically literate. They know how to move. They know how to move well, but they're not necessarily applying that skill set. Um, whereas someone who isn't a skill, but walks their dog every day and maybe goes for a run after school, I would consider that person physically literate because they're actually applying what they know, what they can do to their life and to their day-to-day activities. So then even though they don't have the same skill level, but they are choose, so let's say the dog walker and the video game player, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, they're going to the same PE class. So even though the video game player has much more skills, but is not applying those skills versus the, you know, the dog walker who is applying what they know, but may lack or maybe less skillful than the video game player, you would consider the person, the dog walker person more physically literate than the video game player. Is that, am I understanding that correctly? Yes, because they're actually applying themselves to a movement situation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Awesome. So one of the things that I've seen, the confusion with this physical literacy word um, is, you know, I've, I've done some work crossing over with uh, youth literacy, like writing, reading kind of stuff, uh, researchers. And um, I think if we look at an outside scholar, so not in the field of physical education, and they read this article and they're confused of this word of physical literacy. And let's say the, you know, the scholars typically used to hearing the word literacy in terms of reading and writing. So if you look at a quote from your discussion, which was, findings suggest that physical literacy most closely reflects an autonomous application of movement. And they think autonomous application of movement, where, where's the reading and writing in that? How would you explain the rationale or rationalize to them the reason why the field of physical education decided to use this specific terminology? Well, I think it also goes back to the word. I mean, if you look at the word literacy, like a scholar would say that if someone, say, has a sixth grade reading level, they might be like literate. Mm-hmm. But if they don't, say actually use that to read the newspaper and stay informed and continue to read materials then are they like are they literate today when they're 30 years old and not i don't know reading Mm -hmm. the news yeah are they just you know giving their news from video sources or other things not saying that that's um i i I, this this is completely opinion, of course. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I don't have a, a depth in depth knowledge of what um, literacy experts in in literature know, mm-hmm. but um, I do know that, of course, like one of the big goals of school is to apply those skills of reading and writing to for like to jobs to mm-hmm. citizenship. Right. So if you know how to read at a sixth grade level, but aren't reading 
anything to keep you informed, then are you, are you today, today in your older age, are they literate? Yeah. And I think this is, it's almost like you could have a, like a deep philosophical conversation of that, right? (laughs) To like sit there and it's like, it's almost like a thought experiment of, you know, if you have the physical literacy and you've learned these things, right? But you don't actively use them just as if you learned how to read at the sixth grade level, but you don't read or you don't write, do you still actually have that skill? Could you be considered literate even though you haven't written? You know, does that disappear or by you not using that skill, does it actually mean that you you possess that skill? Mm -hmm. Hmm. Maybe we should have a philosophical uh, question podcast and and tackle (laughs) tackle these issues. As people call in. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So let's uh, let's move to more kind of like future directions. Um, What research do you still do you think is still needed for the field of physical education to really understand and effectively achieve physical literacy in our students and educational experiences? Yeah, one of the biggest things that's needed is, of course, assessment and being able to show that this is not really show, but prove that like progress in physical literacy is being made or not made. Of course, physical literacy is a journey. Mm -hmm. um, And that was evident in the in the results as well, because as we go through life, things change. Um, So but even if as things change, if we're continued to implement change or move people in a positive way, towards a more physically literate lifestyle or mm-hmm. physical well it's different than different than physical active lifestyle physically literate lifestyle would be someone who like actually like like utilizes chooses to, go. Choo- yes chooses to apply mm-hmm. um and it, of course yes chooses to apply yeah so um, and we're, uh, we're working on that. Um, part of my second research, like the second study of my dissertation was putting together a measurement tool using, um, a, like pers- using personal construct theory uh-huh. to evaluate a person's like personality, like physical, physical literacy personality. Right. Um, kind of it'd be more like their profile mm-hmm. what really what that would do is provide a tool for people to use as like a way to understand themselves better as a mover and hopefully in turn then be able to use that data to apply themselves in different movement situations um, where I really see of course this is getting a little off task sorry no, that's fine. No, and I think uh, I I think the interesting piece is that you know you talked about the different viewpoints of this, the one from Canada, the one from England, Wales, uh, you know, the now the one from Australia, and it seems like you know there's you know you've done a research study, you've asked the experts, and you've put out this like what is physical literacy and what is it not, but it still seems like it's still a little uncomfortable to be like this is 
the definition of physical literacy deal with it. Mm-hmm. You know, because there are so many different ways to kind of dissect this. Um, I mean, I, I'll be honest, like when I was going through my um, doctoral studies, I graduated 2015. I may have read some stuff about physical literacy, but it was not within my specific field of study. And it, you know, I kind of didn't really read into it. Then a few years later, I'm reading these articles and everybody's talking about physical literacy all of a sudden. It's it's at shape. It's, you know, people are talking about it. And I I kind of feel like I missed the boat. And, you know, now I'm doing a lot more reading in it. But, you know, what how do you educate someone like me, like a practitioner in physical education, teacher education programs or, you know, practitioners in PE programs or researchers on these constructs of physical literacy, clearly going to a conference and having somebody say physical literacy is the same thing as physically educated isn't the best way to do this. But, you know, how do we get everybody on the same page? Yeah, more more research, more awareness, um, and and actually having like a uh, an agreed upon construct, like Canada did, mm-hmm. where they got all their entities together and said, "This is our definition. This is what we will do and what we'll use from here on as a nation." Right. We can do, I mean, we have, we have so many different, we have shape, we have Aspen, we have, um, like other play. We have even, uh, Aspen has a, a offset of physical literacy called play. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. getting those entities together and really agreeing upon a conception or an operational definition yeah. would be important. Um, it seems, especially if there's a federal grant that already uses Canada's, it seems like we've just adopted Canada's. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, different countries, it might be a little easier pending they have a national curriculum, right? Yeah. So like if you See, have a national curriculum and then you have, you know, Sport Australia and then you have uh-huh. this curriculum, these two organizations are together in agreement. Whereas, and it, yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. And shape like kind of does that and has that. But I don't know if you've noticed this in your uh, institution, but at my institution, like the governing body that we have doesn't recognize shape standards. So like I have to go off of like different kinds of things. So maybe even looking at shape and seeing like, what can we do here that can lead this project forward? How can we shape or how can we shape? How can we change our uh, maybe our standards to not just be a word change, but a change towards actually getting and graduating physically literate individuals, yeah. at least at that moment in time. Of yeah, course, and, you can't. And I think the issue is that you know in the U.S. it's all up to the states, and the states have you know California has different um, physical education standards. K to 12 than Virginia does. And so that's where the kind of shape doesn't have the teeth to bite into this and be able to say like, this is what we're going to do. Whereas other countries for better or for worse have that national curriculum and they're able to dictate it more and they might be a little bit more, more aligned. It's true. So, but 
I want to thank you uh, very much for your time. Um, for those of you that want to read the article, um, you can check this out with the full citation in the comments section. And we also have one that launched on it's episode 73 that talks about uh, CSPAP models with a co-author from uh, Chelsea Colin Webster. Um, so um, is there a place um, listeners can follow you on Twitter or other social media or a school website or anything like that? Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Educate Exercise. Educate Exercise, <laughs> awesome. And we'll uh, link to your faculty profile there as well and um, uh, link to the full notes. Um, so I also want to thank uh, Shelby Ison and Alyssa Trad, um, Kevin Richards and Aaron Santeo for the work in producing this podcast. Um, again, if you have not rated us, um, and or uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, that would be great. Um, we do have a Twitter handle for the podcast. It's at the HPE podcast. Uh, and we also have a website. Uh, it is called www.thehpewebsite.com. We're very inventive with the names there. Um, and again, um, I was discussing this offline a little bit with Chelsea. Um, if you're consistently listening to this podcast and you conduct research in the field of health and physical education, uh, my hope is that you're also a member of the ARA SIG 93. Uh, it's a great collection of scholars from health and physical education. Our annual meeting is in April. Uh, the call for papers is always in July, pretty much July 10th or so. Um, and this year uh, we're in San Francisco and then uh, Orlando in 2021 and then San Diego and Chicago. So again, uh, Chelsea, thank you so much for joining us. And that's all we got.